This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. Great to, great to see you this morning. Thank you for, for coming. Um, it, we've, we're having, I'm having fun in this series, but not in the kind of way that, that, that I expect. So last week, um, if you remember, I, I preached with a piece of tissue on my face because I cut myself shaving just before I came to church. So I felt, well, that was about as bad, it was, as, bad as it was going to get. Uh, this series, I thought, well, that's spiritual warfare right there, isn't it? <laughs> uh, sorry, I'm playing it down. But this, th- 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 so this Saturday morning, I, I opened my, uh, my uh, Word document uh, that I'd been working on for, well, I, it takes me a long time to put a sermon together. And I found that basically there was nothing there apart from the passage. So, um, so what I did, I felt, apart from thinking, I don't want to do this job anymore and um, feeling miserable, uh, um, I put a PowerPoint together which has got like, it's literally a little, slightly undigested. So please have grace for me. <laughs> Uh, and if it goes really well, maybe I should do this every week. Maybe I shouldn't do any prep. I'll just throw my ideas onto a PowerPoint. Okay, so let me pray. So we're in a series called Formed. Uh, let me pray. Father, we just, I, I pray that you'd be with me. I pray you'd be with, with everybody listening, uh, Lord, this morning, that you would, uh, your words would, would come through. Lord, that we would uh, be, hear what you want to say, Lord. Some of these quotes and thoughts, Lord, challenging, Lord, but Lord, you just want to draw us to yourself, Lord, and I pray, draw us to yourself, Lord, challenges, movers, shake us out of uh, the water we're swimming, the cultural water we're swimming in, and help us to, to walk after you, after your spirit, that we'd love you deeply, in Jesus' name, amen. So we're in this series called Formed, as I said, and we're looking at five pathways, five pathways to spiritual formation. We're looking at uh, stories, the ideas or worldviews we believe. We're looking at experiences, the significant moments of our lives. We're looking at community, how we're impacted and shaped by the people around us. Uh, we're looking at practices, how our uh, embodied, the, the habits we do with our body and the routines of our days. And we're also looking at the, our loves, the deep desires of our hearts. And what we're going to do is look into different aspects of these uh, as we roll through the series. Uh, and this, and this, this week, I'm, I'm going to look at story. So I'm going to look at story. We said last week that actually probably we're a church that, that in my uh, uh, preaching and a lot of churches will do, they'll look at story. They'll take uh, story and ideas and truth and worldviews, uh, and that'll be the only way that people can be changed. Uh, but it's not the only way that people can be changed, but it is a significant way that people can be changed. We said last week that Paul said, be transformed 
by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by, by your thinking, by renewing your mind. And, and what we're going to try and do this morning is to, to kind of give some idea of the pattern of this world, what the, the kind of water we're swimming in, as it were, the cultural waters we're swimming in, and, 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 to, and to bring a really stark contrast that Jesus asks us to do. So my, my title this morning is uh, The Cross in a Culture of Self. The Cross in a Culture of Self. Uh, I've, I've got two passages, really. Uh, let's read uh, from Philippians. I'm going to read a little bit and then comment, and we'll, we'll see how we go. Uh, so I've just got my PowerPoints here. Okay, so Philippians 2 verse 1, uh, Paul is basically talking to the church in Philippi and he's, he reminds them that they're Christians. He says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, that's what a Christian is, somebody who's united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then, in other words, if you're a Christian, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind, focusing on, uh, the Holman Standard Version says, one goal. So, so Paul's basically saying, if you're a Christian, this is the one thing that something's going to make me incredibly joyful. You know, what would make, you know, if you ask a typical church leader or you ask a typical Christian, what would make you really joyful about your church? What would make you really joyful about your life? It'd be interesting what we'd write down, wouldn't it? It'd be interesting what we'd, we'd answer. And, and if, what, you know, churches often have lots of goals. They have goals that they put up, you know, we'd like to do this or we'd like to do this. We've, we've even done that. We've written some cards and then pandemic said, no, you don't. And, uh, you know, it's good to have goals. But, but, Paul, but Paul says, focusing on one goal or focusing on one aim, one thing. And you think, well, what, what would those be? What would those be? This, and I certainly wouldn't have written this on a postcard and said this is our, our goal. Or I wouldn't have written this and saying, you know, if you do this, this will make my joy complete. But what Paul says is, is really staggering, really. He says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Do not consider the interests of yourself, but the interests of others. Make your own mindset or worldview or story that of Jesus Christ. And he, in the, he's saying this, he gives us like some comparisons. He gives us some, don't do that, do this. So let's just kind of make it obvious. It's, it's there, you've probably spotted it already. But don't do that. So he says, don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain pride, or vain conceit, or empty pride. Don't, don't do that. Don't be about that. It, rather, do this. In humility, value others above yourself. Now, we've, if you've been around church, you've heard these words before. Yeah? And you go, yeah, uh-huh, 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 I got this. Value others above yourself. Just let that sink in. Value others. Don't be about yourself, your own ambition, your own goals, your own self-fulfillment, your own thing, your own pride, your own profile. Think about other people. In humility, value others above yourself. Think, oh, Paul, stop now. And it is not considering the interests of yourself. No, 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 Paul. But the interests of others. 
Whoa, 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 whoa. You know, this is huge, isn't it? This, this is huge. It's saying there's a massive contrast between our selfish ambition, our vain conceit, and our self-interest, and, the, and loving others and, and considering others more important than others like that. And he says, actually, and then he puts it a different way in a classic kind of Jewish sense. That's what they would do. They, they'd kind of bring a contrast. In a, in a classic Jewish sense, he says, this is the same thing. So he says, make your worldview that of Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus' worldview is, I don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, I consider others above myself. I'm not serving my own interests, I'm serving someone else's interests, the interests of others. He's saying, that's that's how Jesus... And and Paul is saying, if you do that, I will be absolutely complete. My joy will be complete. I can go to glory and say, my joy is complete. If if, If you did that, if you focused on that one thing, brilliant. And then Paul, I think he's quoting an ancient hymn, and uh, I'm only going to read the first part of it, uh, uh, and, you, and you think, why? Well, just time. Uh, but he quotes an ancient hymn then, and he says, talking about Jesus, who though he was in the form, that's our word, remember? That's our word of the series, who is in the form or the shape of God, uh, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. Paul's not saying that Jesus is, is not equal with God, He's saying he is in the very form of God, he's in the very nature of God. He's, he's actually, this is what God is like. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Uh, did not c- consider being God, being equal with God, being in the very nature of God or the form of God. He didn't consider that a thing to be grasped for his own advantage. In other words, Jesus isn't using his godness for his own advantage. In other words, it's not about ambition, selfish ambition. You think, hang on a minute, surely God can do what he wants, and he can. This was staggering about what Paul says about God. He says, but he emptied himself. Uh, 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 you know, people have struggled with what does that mean, but I think it means he poured himself out, he gave himself away. It wasn't about drawing things into himself, this endless black hole, which is human existence. It's about, no, I give myself away, I pour myself out. Taking the, uh, the form of a slave or a servant being born in the likeness of, 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 of men or, or sinful flesh. He's, been, he's born, suddenly he takes on our flesh because he's got some work to do in the human flesh. And it says, being, being found in human form, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death. Even death on the cross. And you want to say, well, what's God like? And I've, I've preached a whole sermon on Philippians 2, and, and I'm not going to do that. But if you want to say, well, what God, what's God like? God is, some, is the God who gives himself away, the God who's poured out, the God who considers others, the God who washes feet, the God who gives his life for others. He, he's not the God who sits on a throne and says, worship me and do what I want. That's what we think God is like, but actually, although he's every right to demand our worship, what he does, he comes in the form of a servant, comes and takes on our weakness, comes and takes on our flesh, uh, and, and dies on the cross. So what we have, in, and we have it in Scripture loads, we have this contrast between the way of self and the way of Jesus. The way of self is all about looking great, 
This, uh, that's a snap from our a series that we did some years ago called Culture Shift. Uh, that's about looking great. It's about the, the body beautiful. It's about taking selfies. It's about getting likes. It's about people love me, love me, and are amazing. Please come and say my sermon's great. I like your shirt. Don't you look good this morning? Haven't you lost weight? It's all about that. That's what the, the world is all about. But actually, the way of Jesus is about the cross. And the contrast that Paul's asking us in Philippians is to say, well, which way are you going to walk? Which story are you going to walk? Are you going to walk the way of self, the way of our culture? Are you going to walk the way of Jesus? And it's a, it's a stark choice. Because right now you might say, of course I'm going to walk the way of Jesus. But if somebody said, right, okay, we'll take you outside and crucify you, you're going to suddenly think, no, I'm not, 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 not really. No, that, you know, it's just metaphorical, surely. You know, the fact is, all of, all of Jesus' disciples did die for it. You know, it wasn't metaphorical for them. Jesus puts it perhaps even more starkly than Paul in this passage in Luke 9 that, that perhaps we're all familiar with. He said to them all, them all, not some, all, if anyone wants to follow me or be my disciple or come after me, they must deny self. We'll talk about what self is. It's not saying you have no existence. There's something in the heart of us called self. We just deny that and take up their cross daily. You've got to die daily and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life because of me will save it. And then he does a little bit of, Jesus does a bit of cost-benefit analysis and says... What does it benefit one if you gain the whole world, but you lose this self? So we're playing for high stakes here. We're playing for high stakes here. So let's just unpick the story of self. And you think, oh, you always go here. But I just find that Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3 is like, so profound, and sorry if you've heard me talk about this before, but the lie that, that is told at the start of Genesis, uh, that the, the, the ancient deceiver slips into the beautiful, unbroken world and says, you can gain the whole world and find yourself. You can gain the whole world and find yourself. Just reach out for autonomy. Just reach out for freedom. Just reach out to self-fulfillment. And you can gain the whole world. And in that, you'll find who you truly are. You can follow your heart. You can be yourself. You can find your own way. You can, that, that's the lie. You, you're not going to die. It's, you, no, no, you're not going to lose yourself. You're not going to die. For God knows, God's a liar, God's really the liar. He says he's keeping it from you. He knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be as God. Deciding or knowing or discerning or making up your own mind what's right and wrong. And you think, well, that's a story that's written by Moses probably like 3,000 years ago. That's probably some old mumbo-jumbo. If that's not a description of human condition, I don't know what is. I don't know what is. Dallas Willard, who we've been ripping on a lot in this series, uh, he says this. He describes this act of rejecting God, believing this lie that you can gain the whole world and keep yourself. He says, the idea of a restrictive God that limits our freedom drives us to pushing 
God out of our thoughts. In other words, now I'm not even going to think about God because I'm just not going to think about his demands on my life. I mean, I know some people who say, um, if, so, if, God, if God asked me to do that, or God said I couldn't do that, or I couldn't, I couldn't sleep with who I want, or spend what I want, or live how I want, if, if God, God's like that, or God didn't accept me like this and that and the other, then I'm not going to believe in him. Have you ever heard people say that? I'm not going to believe in a God like that. Well, what they're saying is, I'm not going to believe in a God that demands me, demands on me. I'm not, I'm not going to believe in a God like that who, who restricts my freedom. So I'm just going to say, no, he just doesn't exist. So they look out the beautiful stars and they look at the creation and they watch the green planet with David Attenborough and they say, what a beautiful world. Cannot be God. It's just chance, isn't it? Surely it's got to be something else. Because what we want to do, says Well Ad, is we want to put self on the throne of the universe. And this inevitably results, as Jesus says, in the ruined soul and the ruined world. You're going to lose yourself and the world's going to be broken. Following? Okay. So I've used these diagrams before. This is my little super geek out. If you think I'm geeking out before, I'm super geeking out now. These are my little diagrams that I used before. And if you were around when we did the tears on Culture Shift, here we go. So uh, th- let's just explain the diagram and then I'll explain the phrase. So the big circle is authority. Who's in charge? Who's on the throne? The big circle is authority. And in the past, external authority, I've put a church in there, because probably it was church or state or family or something external to ourselves, had authority over the individual. Certainly that was Middle Eastern culture, that the the family had authority over the individual. You find your identity as a member of the family. And even... Even 200 years ago, you found you did what the what the state wanted you to do, you and certainly that you did what creed wanted to do, what the belief system, what that even if you weren't a Christian, you did what the the external authority asked you to do. You certainly behaved like that on the outside. And so in the past, it was never right to deny the culture or the creed. You'd never say to culture or creed, "I'm not going to do what you say." Yeah? Tracking? Let's find a geek, a professor, so you think, woo. Okay, old rules, he says. I've used this quote before. Old rules stressed duty to self. The importance of self-denial that used to be assumed in um, Christian societies, especially, especially duty to family and nation. So in other words, the old way is authority was big, and it was called duty to others. The importance of self-denial. It says, obviously, people were not sacrificial all the time, but it was embarrassing to be seen to be selfish. I was going to make a political comment then, but I'm not. I was tempted, but I'm not. I resisted temptation. Uh, uh, And because the prevailing ethic was self-denial. You had to present, as a leader in our nation, you had to present as if you're serving for someone else. It's not about you. It's not about your self-engrandisement. It's not about... Oh, I'm really being careful. It's not about kind of me, 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 grasping for your own advantage. It's not about, about being president, prime minister, you know, whatever. It's not about those things for your own advantage. It's saying, no, no, I'm serving because, because I feel there's something important, there's some core, something good to do. Yeah? Because the prevailing ethic was self-denial. But now the new rules, 
Welcome to new rules. This is the new rules we live in. As a brief prayer is replaced by the duty to self. Where our primary responsibility is our own self-fulfillment. And he says, everything must fit around that priority. So that looks, means that the world that we live in looks like this. So what happened is now the individual is huge. And, and the culture is small. Don't you tell me what to do. Don't you ask me what to do. Don't you expect me to believe that because we are huge. So in other words, the self is now sacred. Where God was sacred, where God's word was sacred, now self is sacred. And it's never, never right to deny yourself because self is huge. Don't do that. Don't tell me what to do. Don't don't cramp my style. Don't make me a victim. Don't oppress me. Glenn Harrison from... um, University of Bristol, I think he's retired now, but he said this, that this idea this, where the individual is big is called expressive individualism. means the external demands on self are spurned in favour of the autonomous self. I'm in charge. Freedom means we discover ourselves within ourselves. No one tell me who I am or what to do. I'm going to define myself. My biology isn't even going to tell, tell me what I am. I am going to decide. My view of my identity is, it determines who I am. So what he says is we repudiate, we say no to external authorities and we create our own meaning and fulfilment in life. Here, the self is positioned both as creator and authority of our own destiny. In other words, I'm going to be God. I'm going to be God. So you hear these words all the time, don't you, about the kind of right of the individual. And I think the American Constitution is great because we haven't got one at all. You know, it'd be quite handy to have a constitution. But the American Constitution says this, doesn't it? It says, we, we believe that all uh, people have the inalienable right of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And actually, that, you know, it's quite a, that's quite a good thing, isn't it? It's better than saying, you haven't got the right to life. You know, you're going to be en- enslaved, and we want you to be miserable. No, no, no. You know, it's, it's actually in the American Constitution, it's, it's a good thing that the, that the presidents and the politicians are trying to create life and liberty and happiness for you. But it's interesting, what have those become? And I've put it up there, haven't I? Freedom is the right to pursue self-fulfillment. I can do what I want. Nobody can stand in my way. I, I, I'm free to do what I want. That's what freedom really means. It used to mean other things. But now it means nobody's standing my way. So oppression, then, the opposite of freedom is if people challenge me or people disagree with me or oppose my choices. So I don't know if you've ever had a discussion with somebody and, you, and you've said to them, I don't agree with your lifestyle. When I was younger, you could, do, you could have that discussion. But if you do it now, you're oppressing that person. Why don't you agree with me? If you don't agree with me, you can't love me. And if you can't love me, you must be oppressing me. I don't agree with that lifestyle choice you've made. They will say you're oppressing them. Okay, so, so that's kind of the story of self in the sense of we've got this kind of sense of freedom is about I'm going to find myself, I'm going to be myself, I'm going to fulfill myself, and nobody can tell me what to do. And if you do, you're oppressing me. The Bible says it like this. Uh, Paul says to Timothy, says in the last days, that's any time since the time of Jesus, people will, why don't you read it with me? 
People love only themselves and their money. Hmm. Oh, you think, that's quite contemporary, isn't it? No. Two centuries ago, two, 2,000 years ago. People love only themselves and money. They'll be boastful and pride, scoffing at God, disobedient to parents and ungrateful. They'll consider nothing sacred. They'll be unloving and unforgiving. They'll slander other and have no self-control. He obviously knew what Twitter was. They'll be unloving and unforgiving. They'll slander others and have no self-control. They'll be cruel and hate what is good. They'll betray their friends. It's not about, you know, if your friends get in my way, if you oppose me, you're gone. They'll be reckless, puffed up with self and love for pleasure rather than God. They might act religious, but they reject the God that can make them godly. So how does that track into the church? How does that track into the church? So I've just put a heading called The Story of Self in the Church. I've listened to, uh, self-disclosure, I've listened to uh, sermons by lots of people on this, but I listened to a great sermon by a guy called John Mark Comer, but I found it very helpful. Uh, and he, he quotes this story. I didn't, I'd not heard it before. I need to be honest that I'd not heard it before. He talks about uh, the, the Knights Templars in the Crusade. Um, and he said the Knights Templars were baptised, when they were baptised, with their sword held out of the water. And John Mark Comer says it's a really funny story that when they became, when they became uh, Knights Templar and were going on the Crusades, they, they were in full uniform, full armour, and they baptised them under the water, but they, true, true, true story, they held out of the water the sword. And John Mark Comer says, he reflected on it, and I think, you know, I've, I've seen elsewhere that people reflected on it, that it's almost they held out of the water the thing they didn't want to give to God. I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus, I'm going to be a Christian, but actually this bit, where I earn my living and where I get my own way, I'm keeping that, out. I'm keeping that for myself. And John Mark Cummins, I thought it was really funny, and he, he says it much better than me, he says we should, perhaps we should have what's, what he called honest baptisms. We should have honest baptisms. <laughs> Where basically we get people get baptized and they hold out of the water that they hold out of the water the thing they don't want to give to God. So they kind of you kind of baptize them out of the water and they're holding out of the water. They're holding their iPhone and their Instagram account. Yep, you can have that. You know they're holding out of the water their picture of their girlfriend or their boyfriend or or they're they're holding out of their water their their their, their plans for their house extension or whatever. You know, not that house extensions are bad or girlfriends are bad. Sorry. See, this is the danger with us. You see, you just... Now, and we hold out the water and we say, you can have everything but not my career. You can have everything but my money. You can have everything but not my pride. You can have everything that... You know, you can have those kind of things. I'll go under the water and... now my wallet. No, 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 no. Hannah, make a lovely video, but no. I think, you know, wow, I know that's what I'm like. I'm not saying, yeah, when I went under the water, everything was like, I mean, I've got little habits and little sins and little ways of doing that. I think, man, why didn't that die with Jesus? Because you know that baptism must be die with Jesus and come out of the water. But you've got this little thing and you hold it out of the water and say, no, you can't have that. Now, I've got to be careful here because C.H. Spurgeon says, don't criticise God's church because he loves it. So I'm not trying to criticise God's church. These are quotes that I read and thought, bang. Oh, Bill Hull. The Western church is weak, self-indulgent and superficial. It's been thoroughly discipled by its culture. And you think, 
That's what we talked about last time, didn't we? It's contested space. Something, you're going to be discipled by something. You're going to be discipled by the culture or discipled by Jesus. We're going to be, we've been thoroughly discipled by the culture. Regardless of our nodding assent to the importance of Christian maturity, our passions lay elsewhere. We sacrifice the poured out life of a disciple on the altar of shallow personal achievements and self-gratification. You can lead a church and be all about personal achievements and self-gratification. I'll be honest with you, when the numbers are high, I feel better. And when the numbers are low, I feel rubbish. What's, what's that all about? My wife says, Howard, it's not about that. I think, oh, you know, you know it's so easy to, 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 to measure all the wrong things and thinking it's all about you. And, it's, and you think, just put that aside. You know, we finished last week with, Jesus, we, we, we want to love only you. That's the one thing we want. We want to love you. But yet you can, it can be so easy that we're all about something else. Whether it's in church life or just general life, we're about shallow personal achievements and self-gratification. Then, again, in this, in this John Mark Comas uh, uh, sermon, he, 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 made two, he made a comment himself and he quoted from a friend of his. And um, so I found the quotes and... Um, I find them really staggering. This, this guy is called uh, Sky Jathani. He wrote a book called The Divine Commodity. And he's talking about how he was kind of judging everybody for not really being red-hot Christian. You know, for holding someone out of the water. What's the matter with everyone? And he talks about what God did to him. He said, God responded by pointing out the consumer plank in my own eye. In other words, it's all about my own self-gratification. And then he says this, uh, he says, My secret is that I want to be relevant and popular. I want my desires fulfilled and fulfilled and pain minimized. I want to be transformed into the image of Christ by by showing up at entertaining Christian events, rather than through the hard work of discipleship. I want to wear my faith on my sleeve and not look at the darkness in the heart. And above all, I want a controllable God. I want a divine commodity to do my will on earth as it is in heaven. And I thought, oh, flip. You know, I want to, sh- I want to be transformed into the image of Christ by showing up at entertaining Christian events. Wouldn't that be great, eh? Oh, let's go and, you know, oh, let's get that big worship gig. I'm not against worship gigs. You see the trouble with you? You're just too black and white. I'm not against worship gigs, but you think, I'm just going to go to that worship gig and I'll suddenly be just transformed into the image of Jesus. And I don't want to do the hard work of discipline. You know, I want to wear my faith on my sleeve and look really spiritual, but like, I don't want to look at like, ah, oh, how does it like? I want to be my own God. I want to be controlled by God. I want him to do my will on earth as in heaven. And John Mark Comer reflected on that in the sermon, and, and I've just kind of written this out because it wasn't in a book, it was just in the sermon. It says, it says in the West we believe that God would not ask us to deny ourselves. He said, well, you know, clearly they're going to ask them to deny themselves in kind of countries where life's tough and difficult, you know. They're going to deny yourself in those areas in the, in the two-thirds world where it's really poor and challenging. And, or you're going to deny yourself in, as a Christian in China where, where there's persecution. You know, those are the places where God's going to ask you to deny yourself. But it would not ask us to deny ourselves in the West. He says, we want to have the best of both worlds. 
I'm doing these quotes because they spoke to me, not because I'm thinking you're all bad. You're all kind of, you know, you're all looking like, oh, my word, he's having a right pop. He says, he says, we can be really, I want to be, it should say I want to be rather than we, we can be. I want to be really generous and comfortably rich. Uh, I, I, I want a, the best of work, both worlds where we can follow Jesus and live like a celebrity. Where we can have character without suffering. Where we can be humble but not humiliated. This is me. We want to be patient but not wait. We want to be kind but not with annoying people. <laughs> I want to love other people, but as long as they're really lovely. I don't want to love those people. No, no, for goodness sake. And this is, I, I, this is really Naomi. I'm really been trying to work on this. I want to hear God's voice, but never get up early to focus on prayer. And then John Mark Comer says, we want the life of Jesus but we don't want to take up the cross. Okay, let's move this forward then. So what's the story of the cross? Let's just remind ourselves, having said all that, what's the story of the cross? Jesus said to them, if anyone wants to come after me, they must deny self and take up their cross daily. What is this self? Self isn't just all of you. It's not like you disappear into this blob of nothing. The self in the Bible is, this, is, is what the Bible often calls your flesh. It's kind of like your, your desires to do your own thing, to do your own will. Paul talks about, you know, that he talks about this wrestle between what I want, this, the flesh. I want to do these things. I want to do God's will, but I find myself doing something else. I, I want to live that way and I want to do that. And Paul, Paul says, doesn't he? he says, live by the Spirit and you will not... Uh, fulfill the desires of the flesh. So we've got this desire, we've got this kind of self in us that wants to, wants to be a, 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 a ambitious and grand and self-fulfilled and free. And he says, no, 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 they must deny that, that flesh of it, and take up their cross daily and follow me. That's why Jesus took on flesh. Because the flesh, the cross is about crucifying the flesh, the, those kind of desires that oppose God. And whoever wants to save their life will lose it. If you want to grasp onto your life, you want to pull things to yourself, if you want to use things for your own advantage, if you want to do that, you, if you actually, the, the more your hands are closed around those things, the more you're going to slip through your fingers. But whoever loses their life, for me, will save it. If you, if you, if you follow the way of Jesus and say, actually, I'm going to give myself away, I'm going to give myself away. You're going to find, find life. If you're going to do those things that cost you to love others and care for others and, and serve others and commit to others, if you do those things, you're going to find life. And then, as I said before, it says, what does it benefit one if you gain the whole world and lose your very self? Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this famous quote, says, The cross is laid on every Christian. The first sacrifice all must experience is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. It is that dying of the old self that results, uh, which is the result of encounter with Jesus. We embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. When Christ calls us, he bids us come and die. Self-denial means knowing Christ and forgetting oneself. And we see this in the Bible, don't we? We see the, the rich young ruler says, I want to come to, to, to Jesus. He says, you know, by the way, you are all rich. 
Some of us different grades of rich, but we're all rich because we live in, in, in the rich West. And so therefore, you're, you're, you're in that story. You come to Jesus and said, I want to have eternal life. I'd like to have the benefits uh, of the kingdom. I want to have all the blessings of the kingdom. And Jesus says, great. He says, fulfill the commandments. He said, I've done them all. Ticked all the boxes. And he says, okay, give all your money away. What? What? My wallet? No, 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 no. It says he went away sad. I mean, it's a challenge, isn't it? I read of this crazy church in California. I think it was the guy, that, the, the guy Sky's church. They basically said, let's take that seriously. So they, they started to sell the stuff they didn't need and give the money away. They started to slim it down and simplify and say, I don't need that, I don't need that, I don't need that, I don't need that. I empty, you know, all my shoes. I've got more shoes than Imelda Marcos. Nobody remembers her. She was the Filipino uh, wife of the Filipino uh, president who had like a thousand pairs of shoes. You know, and you know, I just slim it all down. I, I've got three TVs. I'll give one away. I've got, you know, I've got two cars. I'll give one away. You know, it seemed like you. This church in California was doing it. I'm thinking, how incredibly radical. To say, Jesus, I'm going to take you seriously. I'm going to take that out of your word. I'm going to give myself away. But we've got to understand that there's a, there's a challenge here, isn't there? For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life because of me will save it. Okay, I want to say, deny self by committing to, to Jesus' community. In other words, it... The, the, the Philippians passage says, consider the others above yourself. Consider the interests of others, not yourself. You cannot live the life of Jesus on your own. You just can't. You have to live it in community. That doesn't mean just coming to church, but it means you have to share life with, a, with, with, with Christians where you, you give your life to them and, and they give your life to you. So when we start small groups in a, in a few uh, weeks' time or at, at the end of uh, March, at the end of Jan- uh, Feb, beginning of March, yeah? You know, you have to say yes to be in community. You know, you have to say, I'm going to be there. I'm going to share my life with community. In other words, I'm going to come even when it's di- I don't want to come. I'm going to turn up when I don't want to turn up. I'm going to say, like, uh, you know, we've, we've all done it, haven't we? We've all, been, we've all sent that text saying, uh, sorry, I can't make it tonight. Oh, nobody found that funny. <laughs> oh, my word. I thought this was quite funny. If you've ever led a small group, you know, and, and you get those texts, you've cooked, cooked all the food, you've prepared the Bible study and everything, and then you get this text, beep, 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 what? Uh, I'm sorry, I can't make it tonight. You know, and then, or whatever, you, or people say, oh, I can't make it on Sunday, and then you go, you look them on, on Facebook, and they've gone home and they've like, they've been doing their garden. Sorry, I can't make it, I'm doing my garden. You know, and it's like, well, I thought you couldn't make it. I thought it was like there's some massive thing. No, I'm just doing my kitchen up. And it's like, we've, and, and you know, it's awful, isn't it? And, and we've got this kind of addiction to personal choice freedom produces commitment phobia and erodes community. We've we got to be there. I mean, wasn't it hard on lockdown? Where he was like, oh, it's a Zoom. Oh, no, not another Zoom. Not a Zoom. And we're like, oh, suddenly we're all like, no, I'm not doing it. I'm Zoomed out. I'm Zoomed out. I don't want to do it. I'm doing it. And then you pour group leaders on there, like, on their Zoom call, like, 
you know, waiting for people to, waiting for people to jump on. It's like, yeah, somebody jumped on. Yeah. You know? If you were, and then we say to our group leaders, who would like to be a group leader? <laughs> Don't be ridiculous. Why? Because everyone thinks it's, it's like, nobody says, yes, I'm all in. They all say, I'll come on a fancy. I'll take leadership from you if, you know, if you fancy. Don't tell me what to do. Don't, don't you dare say come. Me culture, I put, erodes discipleship. Self-denial is the foundation of apprenticeship to Jesus. Wow, don't tell me what to do. I've had people come to me and say, don't tell me what to do. I said, well, I'm, I'm supposed to be a father in the church. And they said, well, no, don't tell me what to do. And, and I would say, deny self by serving. Deny self by serving. Be a leader. Be a leader. And say, I'm going to take responsibility. And so, you know, we think leader is about, oh, it's about me, it's about me. I'll be a leader. Let's be a church leader. I'll be the leader so everyone loves me and says I'm amazing. I'll be amazing. Guys, it ain't like that. You be a leader, everyone says, mm, you've not loved me enough. You never called me. I'm disappointed in you. Even when people don't text me, I feel that. I think, oh, I must, I'm terrible, I'm terrible, I should be serving these people. Oh, oh, oh. You know, we just don't want to do it. Mark Sayers says this, a mode of church engagement characterised by commitment, resilience and sacrifice, that's be like the Old Testament, the New Testament Christians, has disappeared among many Western believers. In its place is a new mode of disengaged Christian faith and church interaction is emerging. The new mode is characterised by sporadic engagement, passivity, commitment phobia, and an insatiable appetite for consumerism. So let's finish with this. There is incredible joy in the cross. Jesus says, whoever loses their life because of me will save it. Jesus said, if you're a Christian... If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any common sharing in the spirit, any tenderness from compassion, if you're a Christian, then think about others more than yourself. Don't think about self-ambition and conceit. Think about others. Think about being like Jesus more than loving yourself. And actually, it's a really good deal. Believe me, it's a really good deal. Jesus tells two stories, doesn't he? Two verses back to back, and they say the same thing. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all he has and buys the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant searching for fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all he had and bought it. Who's this story about? It is about us, but actually it's about Jesus. And I'm not saying you're so amazing, but what I'm saying is Jesus, even though you've sinned against him, he came and took on flesh. He said, you're the pearl of great price, church. You're of great value. You've made in my image. I've shaped you and formed you and loved you and before the world was made. And I'm going to give everything I've got. Everything I've got. I'm going to pour out my life and empty it. I'm going to become a servant, a foot-washing servant. I'm going to be mocked and afflicted. I'm going to pour my life away because I want that. I want you, church. And how do we respond? 
we say, actually, there's a treasure called Jesus that's hidden in the field. People don't know about it. They're just going about their business. They don't know how beautiful and amazing he is. And Jesus says, all that you've got, Howard, is it worth more than me? The guy who finds the treasure in the field says, aha, here's a treasure. I'm going to be incredibly rich. I'm going to start selling all my stuff. My house is on the market, my car, everything, my savings, everything. I'm, going to, I'm selling all that and I'm buying this field because in this field there's one called Jesus who's worth it all. If anyone would come after me, let them deny themselves that stuff and follow me. I read last, last sentence. I read a in our readings that I'm doing with Brad and Steve, um, Paul Tripp said, we live in this kind of spiritual schizophrenia where we believe in eternity, but we live like it's not true. We live like all this stuff, our pride, our self, our purpose, our fulfillment, that's really what really is going to matter and that's really going to count. And we don't live like he does. And he's calling us now to say, come on, you've had that thing out of the water. Let's baptise it now. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.